and 10% of our podcasts start with Matt saying three, two, one, go. Is that right? Am I, is that, fuck, is that a tick that I have? <laughs> no, right. I think it's a tick that I have to click it as soon as you say three. Welcome uh, once again to another episode of Spine Crackers, a uh, sort of unofficial book club book discussion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matthew. What do you mean unofficial? Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in your life, but this is very official to me personally. <laughs> no, I take it seriously. Okay. I've already heard everyone's feelings. <laughs> uh, my, name is, my name is Gabe, and my voice is not valued in this space, clearly. Oh, my God. This is where I go to feel well, and I'm being attacked and done literal violence. <laughs> I'm the last uh, host of the podcast, Paul. My name's Paul. All right. And we have nice. a guest today. Matt, we have a yeah, guest. Matt, you want to introduce our guest? We have a real corker of a guest today. Uh, <laughs> fucking, I, reporting from a, uh, a remote location. I don't remember where it was. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Scott. Hey, what's up, guys? It's a, it's a spa, the Mirabu Spa in Skinny Atlas, New York, that I will now say I rented exclusively for this podcast because I needed a safe space to do the most important thing in my life, which was this. So thank you. Here we go. Oh. You know it. You know, we it. all, we all rent Airbnbs because of acoustic, <laughs> we all have acoustic needs that are different. <laughs> I'm actually, got- I'm actually outside. I'm in a local <laughs> shell uh, uh, orchestra performing space. Yeah. It's negative 14. So it's fine. <laughs> if I'm in a mini hot tub here, right now. Nice. Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> Gotta hydrate while you talk some sweet, thirsty books. <laughs> you want to start it? Do you want to start talking about the book? Well, so Scott, oh, where are you coming to us from? What's your who, oh, who yeah, are Scott. you? Why are you here? What's your yeah, who am I? What, what am I? I'm an I'm an actor slash podcaster. If you like books and like to see them acted, you can catch me in HBO's. I know this much is true. Um, where I take photographs of Mark Ruffalo's balls for two minutes and talk to him way too much about Aerosmith. It's actually a thing I did with my life one time. And then I have two podcasts. I'm on the Infinity Podcast with Patrick H. Willems and Rachel Corky Shank, and we talk all things comic books and pop culture. And then I've got my own show called And the Best Picture Is, where I have a guest on every week, and we arbitrarily decide that a new film release has won the best picture oscar and then work overtime to justify why even if it's terrible we did the anne hathaway chewedel engine four film locked down a few weeks ago and i thought it was going to break the podcast in half we were working <laughs> so hard this seems like so the, the quickest way to get at like un irreconcilable differences between the people you're podcasting with that is really why I did it to bring people I love into the fold and then just create unimaginable conflict with them. I, I, I will say I'm a little bit tense about this because I have been listening to the Infinity Podcast, uh, specifically your episodes on WandaVision, yes. which my wife and I recently have sort of caught up on in the last couple of days. And I feel like you are sort of the diamond drill wedge that goes between the two extremes of the other two hosts. And, and I feel like you, uh, if your goal is to create division, you are, you are extraordinarily talented at it. So I'm a little bit nervous about, uh, yeah, just start working at the foundations of whatever relationship we have. If you want, just like, a little <laughs> <termite>. <laughs> uh, 
just quietly separating it at the seams it's it's it no i'm 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 too nice a person to host the podcast that i'm hosting because i really want the movies to be good and i have been so panicked anytime i've asked someone to come on that the movie is going to be just a pile of shit and the only one i know is going to be the right kind of struggle is in a few weeks we're going to do a snyder cut episode and It's I have a whole panel of people who are going to come on and for four hours, we're going to like really it's going to have to be four hours because the movie is four and a half hours. We're going to try and justify giving Zack Snyder's fever dream of a film that always existed, air quotes, the best picture Oscar. And by the end of it, I will have a Vero subscription because I think that's what happens if you talk about Justice League for more than 10 minutes, you just automatically sign up for Vero. Yes. And yeah. Are you going to buy his like um, meal package? Okay. So I was. Oh, I don't know what this is. Not to get too yeah, deep into the that? weeds, but I want to know about this. So this is this is something <clears throat> called the motherboard package. <laughs> and it's the motherboard is like an exclusive curated culinary experience to go along with the Snyder Cut. You've got like haddock in honor of Aquaman. You got a big, juicy, bleeding burger in honor of Batman. You have like two fucking cocktails. You got dessert. And you're going to eat it all at once because the motherfucking Snyder cut. And, and like, what? really, this what? is all real. And it's, it's like 130 pounds. It's a British company that's put it together and they're going to ship it internationally to people. What? And, oh. Yes. People are going to get so T- sick. They're going to get so sick. Well, here's the best part. I was like, fuck it. If I'm going to do an episode about this thing, it will be tremendous content. Yes. It will be tremendous yeah. content to have this meal and be able to rip it to shreds or secretly be like, that was the best part of the movie. Like, let's do this. That film opens on March 18th. The food isn't ready until April 15th. Like, <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, Zack Snyder? That's it's amazing. Wow. It's, so it basically their pitch is like, you know how fucking good the Snyder cut's gonna be? You know how <laughs> hungry you're gonna be for a second viewing? Well, the second time you watch this motherfucking masterpiece, get ready to dine on the pure joy of that's, seven courses. Like that's crazy. <laughs> I mean that's the, really crazy. The level of like, I don't know how. Like, I, I I like a decent you know multimedia experience. I played I played the Matrix video game. I tried to read the Southland Tales comic book. You're talking about uh, Max Payne, right? <laughs> the Matrix video game. Yes. Although, who, who someone one of those people were mad at the other for stealing bullet time or the concept. I think it was Max Payne that swiped it though. Um, yeah. The yeah, term yeah. the term bullet time or the concept or just like doing it right. I think uh, maybe Thompson. one or the I, I think maybe maybe the name, but I don't know. Uh, anyway, I'm defending Max Payne. Hashtag free Max Payne. Hashtag I like Max, Max Payne, Payne is innocent. Why? I'm not against Max Payne. Uh, I'm against the Mark Wahlberg movie with. But Max Payne. The 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 level of of hubris required to huh. to to airdrop a meal to every consumer of your bloated movie that like required a horde of the shittiest people in the world to get me. <laughs> it's just, 
it's incredible and you know what like he's it sucks because like he's been he's been vindicated on some level in terms of like fan outcry it's now i just need a small i need like the new michelle pfeiffer lucas hedges two-hander french exit (laughs) to wait like six months and be like hold the fucking phone do you want to watch french exit again do you like the chefs that work at per se well guess what baby we made you a meal (laughs) folks if you couldn't tell Today's episode is going to be about um, a book called The Factory by, Hiro- <laughs> <laughs> by Hiroko Oyamada. And uh, this was Paul's pick. And per the, uh, you know, loose structure that we've given this show, uh, Paul, why don't you explain how you arrived at this choice and uh, give us a brief description of the plot as best you can. All righty. Uh, well, I found this book through my Kindle app, basically. It's a great app for looking for books if you, if you don't have it. I, I recommend it, but I was if you, just, if you, you haven't know. heard of Amazon, it's like this guy Jeff, <laughs> this guy Jeff Bezos is involved, and it's like they sell books I actually, and like other stuff. I, I I always forget that Kindle is through Amazon. I always like talk it up so much. I'm like I'm just talking about Amazon right now. I feel like an asshole, but I mean that is how I found it. It had a cool cover, and it was True. also a Japanese uh, author, and I have liked a lot of our Japanese author picks so far. I was like, let's just keep reading some more Japanese people. And uh, um, she, she right, is a, like yeah. a kind of newer voice. Like she was kind of like, a, right, some sort of like people. There, yeah. was, buzz, there was buzz. Like she, she, uh, she's got two, I think, translated works by New Directions like out and they're all, and they do, the covers are cool. Scott, you were talking yeah, the, to me a little bit before we started recording about the other one. Uh, yeah, the whole Yep. The whole. Yeah. Have you read that Which, one? I have. And it's it's both an expansion of everything that's covered in this book and a totally different angle. Like I'd say the the recurring theme is domestic life that gets just considerably more ominous and dark, <laughs> not only as it goes on, but like that the seams not only just start showing, but fraying to the point where you don't even know what they are anymore. And it's also incredibly short. It's another like 110 pager and, you know, these really blocky pages where uh, Gabe, you were saying it's like almost defiant of punctuation or sentence structure or chapter breaks that Mm -hmm. happen when they should. It's very similar in that way. And I dug it as much as I dug this one. That one is on uh, Audible because I was originally I wanted to see if I could get this one on Audible so I could do other stuff while I read. And but, we're nah. sponsored by none of these people, so free yeah. advertising here. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you want to read this on a audiobook format, the whole is on Audible, not the factory. But right. uh, the the quick synopsis I'll give is that uh, a young man uh, named I had his name written down like freaking. What is his name? Anyone can chime in with his um, name. Y- Yoshio, y- Yoshio Furuhu? Yoshi- Ishiyama, right? What? Oh, is that the first? Oh, are you talking the first character? Yeah. Or am I, did I miss something completely with the story structure already? We're professionals no, and we, we do this. <laughs> It's the it's the paper shredder. Yoshiko. Yoshiko. Yeah. Well, basically, he gets he gets a job. I think it's a she. Is it a she? 
The yeah. paper shredder. Yeah. The paper shredder is a she. I, I had a rough week. Maybe, Scott, do you want to take over for me? <laughs> Actually, yeah, let's try something new. Scott, why don't you give us a synopsis here? All right. So we are initially introduced to Yoshiko Yushiyama, who has been sort of in a series of dead-end jobs that they have left, and they come to the factory, which is meant to be this sort of glistening workplace where they take tours to begin a job as a paper shredder. At the same time, we've got Yoshiru Furufu starting in the area of moss development at a job they thought they were interviewing for and just got hired to do their own thing. And then we have a third character who's basically asleep and waking, asleep and waking the entire time that we're with them, working in a separate part of the office. And I, I heat checked myself. I couldn't remember their name. I'm like, I've lost the name of our third character. They're um, a copy editor, though, ostensibly. Yeah. Yeah, looking for errors. So, uh, first of all, um, Scott is now the official host of the podcast. And Sweet. I, I yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for Matt and Paul, we uh, resign. So, next week, you'll be hearing Scott. It's honestly Scott a huge relief. Alone. Yeah. It'll just uh, be Scott. We're, we're all fired except for Scott. <laughs> Get ready to read a lot of Tom Clancy books, everybody. <laughs> Here we go. It sucks when anyone with actual charisma comes on. <laughs> Rainbow Six is actually pretty good, the novel. Yeah. yeah. I think in a Grisham. I get Kim and Grisham confused, and they're very I think different. they take over a, an amusement park, if I'm not, sure, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway. So, so yeah. wait, is is the third character... Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get, get clear. So is the third character that we can't remember the name of, he's the brother of the the first character, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And we know that from like like the one chapter where he meets the his girlfriend in the restaurant. Yes. Right? Yeah. I already, yeah, I already have a funny. question, which is that for Fua, or again, so huge apologies to Japanese listeners. Uh, just that, just a standing disclaimer on this podcast. Right, Any pronunciation is not happening. It's not happening. Uh, there was already, I already had a question about like the uh, the timeline because the virologist, right, the 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 moss expert. Yeah, he, he almost feels like he's introduced, but then it seems like he's much older when he ends up meeting the paper shredder girl and so like that i mean this this book has a decent number of this there are just scenes just injected into the middle of block paragraphs of other scenes taking place at an entirely different moment so like i mean that's part of the style but it seems as though while they're both like sort of just introduced in sequence getting the their various positions uh in chronologically I, I my question is is the moss expert was he is he actually much older and like when you first get introduced him in the book itself in the text is that when he's a young man getting the job and then we we, we cut to 15 years or whatever later and he's still done nothing and he's meeting the other characters do you know what i'm saying i i yeah. think it's just something about the insanity of this book that yeah. i could argue the case for either yes like I, I think the first time I read it, I thought, oh, like the factory is aging him in a weird way. It's accelerated. Yes. And and this is part of the weird process of whatever's going on there that isn't clearly defied, but maybe bird driven. I don't really know. 
and then I'm I'm just as like having heard you say, wait, was this chronologically in the past to go right because the paper shredder remembers taking tours of the factory where it's all kind of glistening and wonderful and kind of akin to Disneyland. And when we meet the Moss guy, that is how the factory feels. It's he's on the tour that's very organized. And when we've got the paper shredder and her brother, they are in these darker environments that even if the cafeteria is stellar and everything, we're, we're really in the bellies of the beast. And it feels like we've lost some of the sheen, even amongst the people that was present before. So I can, I could justify it either way, which is nuts. Yeah. I, I was, I was pretty confused. You know, the, the book's fast. I would say it's, it's rather cryptic and, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I can't. I, I'm. I'm just kind of at a loss for. Uh, I, we have to rate this thing at the end, and I'm still, even now, kind of, like I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it or what was going on. Oh uh, yeah, so that was something that we were experimenting with last last episode, which was getting our ratings out early and then sort of talking through them over the course of the episode. Yeah, which which weirdly enough for this book in particular though, like I wanted to wait until after the discussion for me to give my rating because I. I think I'm a lot like Matt. I don't actually have an initial like rating to give this one. Let's wait, I, I baby. It's up, all it's, it's I couldn't all, come up with a number. Uh, be like water. Yeah, riff yeah. it out. I did want to go back and uh mention that Scott reached out to us because he randomly picked up this book in a bookstore, right? Yeah, in the strand. I I was walking around this big <clears throat> bookstore in New York that sort of features a lot of titles prominently like i know tons of bookstores do that but arguably the entire first floor of this three-story bookstore is devoted to placing books in like the perfect display in which to catch your interest and i'd never heard of this and i grabbed it needing a book for the month and finished it in about a day and <laughs> my head was spinning and, and still is and when you guys tweeted out that it was on the docket to be covered i just leapt at the chance to talk i basically invited myself onto the show because <laughs> i uh, apparently i'm that confident <laughs> that uh, or, or have no fear of rejection slash i haven't talked about this book with anyone and it it's all been in there and i i'm like yeah i i I know I need to talk about whatever I read because it that's the thing that's like, I'll be interested for you guys to rank it given that it, it seems like it's a more recent reading experience. The thing, my main takeaway about this book is that it's lingered for me in a way that I would have been surprised about given how cryptic and, and kind of dense whatever plot is happening is it's stuck with me. And that gives it a certain amount of merit in my eyes, but also we could pick it apart right now. And I'd go, oh yeah, I just fell in love with the atmosphere. Like, and, and that was it. <laughs> well, and, and but, I just, I, I would second that in terms of the way the atmosphere, the way Oyamata creates the atmosphere. Like it's so, um, it reminds me of sort of a modern day, like high tech, like Google or Apple campus almost, right? It's this, it's this all encompassing sort of space where you can travel for, you know, hours in any direction and still be within the confines of this corporate entity's control. And I felt like that that was um, 
really dark and really well sort of articulated in the sense that like there's restaurants and sort of life happens in this space, but it's all under the umbrella. It's all under the auspices of this sort of nameless uh, corporate entity. I would, I was thinking way more the like Amazon essentially, you know, like, yeah. Also we've already talked about Amazon a lot. (laughs) Right. But now as you know, I know, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like this, like a, this thing that we flog essentially, but in terms of just the sprawl, is what I'm more getting at. Did you guys ever read Martin Dresler? Did you ever have to read that in school? I was forced to read it. Martin Dresler, The Tale of an American Dreamer by I don't, Stephen I don't think so. It's this, it won the Pulitzer in 97. I just looked this up. I didn't have this on memory, but I was, we were talking Stop about Stop making us look bad, please. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. That's a formal, I'm making, I'm lodging a formal complaint. <laughs> Against Scott for actually doing research on a book we're reading. But this, it reminded me so much of that book because like the end of that book, Martin Dresler basically just builds the idea of the American dream. And at the end of the book, spoilers for a 25 year old novel, like he just gets lost in it. Like he actually is wandering around this sort of proto mall that he created and there is no end to it. And I kept thinking about that during those campus sections of like how emblematic the factory seems to be of an ideal for anybody who goes there. And then once you're there, there's no getting out. It's yes. just you. Well, because like, uh, you know, one of the things that she seems to be being compared to one of the people is Kafka. Like anytime there's some sort of bureaucratic component to the narrative of anything, it's like Kafka. Uh, <laughs> but that's the anchor point. But like, <laughs> Like, yeah, I think there's big differences, including like uh, just like the 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 extra layer of uncanniness and alienation that is like now currently felt with what you're describing, like Facebook campus or like, you know, uh, the Silicon Valley, like sprawl and all that kind of stuff where. And and the talk about like even Rainbow Six taking over an amusement park and stuff like the amusement park quality where you're like the the term Disneyfied is like a thing like uh, everything kind of it's becoming a miniature world unto itself that bleeds into the reality of the quote unquote real and then you just you just have this like porous semi permeable border with no distinct beginning or end and it just like fucks people up in the head baudrillard baby yeah yeah i did yeah yeah i mean i think it's it's yeah there's certainly a sort of like map territory uh tension here where it's this you know because there's talk in the novel of coming in to work at the factory as if it's a sort of defined space but we never see as far as i recall we don't ever actually see any experience of the world outside the confines of the factory um it's they, they talk about sort of i woke up this morning and came in but there's and there's talk of security guards at the gates and stuff but we never actually see the world outside of the factory it's there's this no sense of place right 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 although i did notice as well there's only one geographically pinpointing reference which is the national diet building in uh in, in tokyo which is like I don't know shit about Japanese politics. It's like their Congress or whatever. Uh, good, good catch. Which what is it called? The National Diet Building. 
diet it's not, building. It's not a pop- it's not a fitness thing, Paul. It's not. It's not about getting <laughs> ripped. It's not about B BMI. Uh it's uh dang it. Yeah, but it's like, you know, it's a major federal building or whatever. And I found that interesting as the one reference because it does firmly situate it in basically Tokyo. So there's that, but also the only other reference is a government government building, which is I feel like a, just a, the slightest little connection to like they're working hand in hand, or there's some maybe, you know, just like closed circuit there. And, and that was another interesting thing too. And this was one where like I did not do my research and and don't know nearly enough about Japanese culture to to have any say as to whether or not this is a thing but i began to wonder as i read it i think of the factory in sort of modern american terms as being something that's very blue collar and that we think of distinctly as like sort of like even blue collar iconography and here it really did feel like a tech campus and i didn't know if that was a subversion of a factory idea based that that she was doing very deliberately or whether it, the factory has a different connotation in Japan and that and that factory life there is more thought of it in sort of like a startup kind of way. Like were the were the aspirational aims of this job something that come from sort of a pre-existing function in Japanese society, or is that something that she's grafted on or invented? Like sort of figuring where the surrealness starts in terms of the actual application process. It was a question I started to have, given how Silicon Valley can feel from time to time. Yeah, I mean, I would just add that I think that's some really important context in terms of thinking about the um, the the resonances of this in Japanese culture versus American culture versus you know the West in in broader terms or whatever. And I think this book was published originally in 2013 or something, which was sort of right on the bubble of sort of like when these these what we are now comfortable calling sort of like a tech campus was sort of starting to be developed for the first time right like there were obviously there were sort of corporate headquarters and this and that but what we know of as a tech campus today with a sort of self-contained city in the way that she's sort of describing in this novel that was still a sort of like relatively novel concept um, and so it's it's sort of interesting to think about the way that this novel functions as a, um, not a predictor, but a, a sort of interfacing with the future in the way that we understand some of the things that she's describing. Like, and I think Scott, you you hit on something that's really important. We think of the, we, the association specifically in America with factory is with this sort of like working class, old school, like punch in, punch out, Bruce Springsteen sort of like <laughs> that I thing. literally thought Springsteen. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. me too. That was he's my the first boss. thought. Right. <laughs> that was my, fa- he's the boss. That was my first thought reading this. I was like, this is, you know, that's my association with factories. It's, it's sort of very analog, very punch in, punch out, middle America. Um, and yet the way she describes it in the novel is this very high tech, advanced tech campus thing. And I think it's interesting to think about the way that those things touch in 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 a way that I don't think we normally let them in everyday sort of discourse. Well, I, I was I was thinking about this too, because like um I, I I don't think there's some sort of cultural gulf that we're missing in the sense of like the significance of the word factory. I think we are meant to go, oh, a factory. 
something is is created within it and it's produced it's a it's a product like it's fairly clear cut you know i i think that's basically the same uh and i think we're supposed to then go like the whole time everyone's like what the fuck is happening in this black box of a of a building that's eating away you know everything like what what is being made um because i mean otherwise this feels more like corporate or whatever right like a, a corporate structure yeah. and I, mean, uh, I think that's uh sorry go, keep going i was gonna say that's a that's like um i think in japan that's a much more uh like they have a much more like take care of your employee walk climb through the ranks kind of traditional let's like let's go you get go up through the ladder blah 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 you have job security and all this stuff it's like a very respected thing to do and like I think I think that confusion is is probably intentional. Yeah, I mean, I was think. I mean, my thought about the whole factory what really was more of just like a corporate system. I actually didn't really make the connection between like a a tech like Facebook or something like a tech sender at all until you guys mentioned it. I was like, oh yeah, that's probably accurate. <laughs> but I was just thinking of just like a corporate place that had some new technicalities to it but i i just kept thinking back to general tropes that i find in or that you see in a corporate system so i was thinking of like when she first gets her uh her apron and mm. it's like the most convoluted backward system that makes no sense <laughs> like you have to wear the same apron every day and you have to like find it like you have to find the number in a pile of other aprons you can't take it home um you get a locker but you don't get a lock you share with other people like it was just all these rules just seem so stupid and, and um and then i was thinking of uh the the forest panster which is my the favorite forest character panther. he's my favorite character of the whole book for sure um <laughs> just sort of vibing with him paul for no reason <laughs> yeah, well, he, he, <laughs> he reminded me of of Mr. S from Serial. If you guys have listened to that, like the yeah, the character. Wait, which just, like, season of Serial? The first season, really? With he's, the he's Adnan, the, he's the guy that first finds the body in the woods because he was like drinking and driving and in the woods. But he was known for just like wearing a, a hooded sweatshirt and sunglasses and shoes and nothing else. <laughs> um, just kind of a, a funny perverted uh, character who's a real person. But I like the forest cancer uh, thinking about just like how a corporate system would interact with someone who might be a little perverted or misogynistic in that system. Like they wanted to keep his behavior within their walls and not go to the police. Um, and, and, uh, and again, like what made me think of a, just a basic corporate entity was the moss man obviously doing nothing for years but having a job having a a job as like a cog in the system of a of a greater like overlord Furufure. yeah so i don't know i don't know how well that sort of cog in the machine relates to like someone in the tech world now well I'm I work in a corporate structure. I don't really know how my two cents is gonna 
relate here, but I do know there is uh, everyone is familiar with the idea of busy work. Uh, and that's what sort of started to feel like the the main almost purpose of the factory in general. It's like just rerouting anyone's vital energies towards completely useless endeavor and being like, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, we're just we're just going to beat you down until you're you're not really your critical faculties are are just you're done. You're comfy. You're a fucking oyster in a salt nutrient bath just floating forever. And we know where you're at and you're controllable. It just felt more like a control mechanism than anything else. Well, so. Yeah. So, so, so Scott, and maybe this is a stretch of a connection, but it, it, it did make me retroactively think of Vision's job in WandaVision where, <laughs> yes, you know, he's, mm. he's talking to his boss and he's like, what do we do here? And his boss is like, uh, you know, we, we, we try to increase our output <laughs> and decrease our, you know, whatever. And it's this meaningless like babble. And I felt like that, that, that was also captured by Oyamata here. Hey, I so appreciate you bringing in WandaVision. Like, that's just <laughs> flawless, flawless pass and pivot. I love it. And like, I'll, I'll expand on that take. I think not only is that 100% accurate, but I think what's frightening about it is that the culture is the point and the thing that keeps you from asking questions. Like in the instance of WandaVision, when we see the fa- uh, his job, his not factory job, but factory-like job, just putting in data, taking out data, putting it in, taking it out. The point is to impress the boss and to get on the boss's good side and to have a chummy relationship with the guy that works at the desk next to you. Here in the factory, when we start to ask questions, the point is the restaurants. The point is the office gossip. The point is how exciting this apron is. But of course, like as, as you were saying, Matt, the apron thing makes no fucking sense, but it's part of the culture and so you're meant to buy into it right. as like a, isn't it? And, and I feel like so many characters in this book, the work of the factory who aren't our protagonists are always saying stuff like, isn't this great? Isn't this exciting? Um, and, and conversely, they're buying into other cultures too, right? There's so much talk of dieting in this book, which was actually the wild thing about the National Diet Center not being a fitness organization. Yeah. Because like from page four, we've got a guy being like, I don't have to eat too many noodles today. I've been I've been watching it. I've been watching what I eat and then pounding like Suba as fast you as you guys, possibly can. Is it weird for how slim this little book is? There's a lot of food talk. Everyone there's eating. there's so much yeah. food. Are you calling me fat, dude? Yes, Gabe, you. <laughs> That's why we gave you this book. We thought you'd like it. <laughs> the 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 fat can you imagine the factory being someone's intervention? Like something that's supposed to be so clear and concise. Like you have a problem, but here's how you're going to fix it. Yeah. It was like, you have an issue. You Leave gave the book this. a 4.0. You really have a problem. <laughs> Here you go, Gabe. Eat it up. I, I am serious though. Like what is It's carb free for sure. <laughs> it's, what no, is the it's, deal it's, with the food? Like why is everyone's eaten? Everyone's having little snacks. There's that one scene where the, they're like, this lady's breath was fucking atrocious. Yes. What's yes. that all about? Like, I really do think there's like it, all these themes of ingestion happening. Well, so, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't know what other people have to say about this, but I do think that part of the Scott mentioned the restaurants and like all of these other sort of, to me, I think that that jives with the sort of sense of modern day, uh, 
uh, tech campuses and stuff where you get all of these sorts of, you know, intangible benefits. Like you don't actually have to leave campus to go to a restaurant or to get dinner or to do your laundry, right? Like I think uh, the Moss guy's uh, apartment is next to the laundry facility for the yeah. uh, for the factory. And it becomes this sort of way of like pushing off all of these other questions that I think this book raises, which are questions of meaning, questions of sort of like value, questions of like, what am I doing with my life? And all of these sorts of things Oh well, uh, there's a restaurant on campus. Uh, on campus, there's a restaurant on site. There's a dozen restaurants on site. There's a hundred restaurants on site. There's laundry facilities on site. These are all sorts of ways that the mentality of the people who run the factory, who, by the way, we never get any sense of who they are, uh, unless I'm misremembering something. No, um, you're right. <laughs> no, they're trying true. to. They're trying to sort of push off that the, that line of questioning. Well, and I, I was, as you were talking, I was like, there, there's this passage that was occurring to me and I, and I found it. It's like right in the early part of the book. It's like in page 11, the Moss man's advisor is talking about his diet. And he's like, didn't, uh, where's it? Did I tell you about my diet? I've been skipping lunch to stick to two meals a day, no carbs at night. I've lost 20 pounds in the past six months. And it talks about him routinely giving that speech, no matter what he's shoveling into his mouth. And the thing that it made me think of is like the old adage, you are what you eat, right? You are, you are actually the things you consume, whether that's your meals, whether that's TV shows you watch, the job you have, you are what you ingest in a way. And what's insane is like our first instance of this is someone just straight up lying about what he's doing and how he's doing it. And the idea that he's on a diet is more important than what he's actually doing. And that seems to line up with with Gabe, like your point about like incentivizing restaurants. Like it's more important that you have this thing here than you are focused on what it is you're actually doing with your life or what's around you. And better and to be I, on diet. Yeah. And I think that also vibes with sort of contemporary tech culture in the sense that like I've I've known, I don't know, I I, I won't speak for anybody else, but I've known a lot of people who are involved with that sort of world and um, they are obsessed with sort of like, oh yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm gluten-free or whatever right now. And I'm, I'm doing this or that sort of like fad health thing. And I'm like, I literally just watch you do a gram of cocaine in like four hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's the, so I just think like it's, it was a really sort of like, like well-articulated, uh, you know, description of that disconnect that a lot of these sort of you know, like tech world, business world people have and their relationship with the health industry. I, um, well, uh, I, I, oh, go ahead, Paul. And then I'll read my little bit. Uh, I just wanted, it, it reminded like the food culture of the book reminded me of like, of, uh, like fantasy football, like water cooler talk. Like I'm, I'm accepting of this culture and the trope of the culture is, we're going to talk about our food intake and eat food together and the restaurants are great. But it also kind of reminded me of like, uh, like folklore in a way. It kind of reminded me of the scene in Spirited Away when the parents are like eating all that food and the, the girl comes back and sees her parents like being basically transformed into pigs. And mm -hmm. it, it, I, I can't point to a particular folklore story but it made me think of like when you consume something 
you kind of get like hypnotized or transformed by it. Um, so that was the vibe I was getting throughout the story too, about these people like engorging on the on meals and like accepting their fate or something. I think you're even more close to the of an overt theme of the book, which is just the people turning into animals. I mean, yeah, that, that that's true. the whole point of that. <laughs> yeah. But can I just, I was thinking, uh, I was re I wanted to just read this chunk here. I don't have a, a clean cutoff, but it, it includes the, the national diet, which I think now that you've, we've talked about food, I didn't really pick up on. Yeah. It fucking absolutely has a double meaning <laughs> of like government. Yeah. And also like, what is the nation consuming at all times? Uh, so it yeah, goes, this um, was brand new information for me too. I I did not pick up on it either, and so once again, Scott's hired, and we're all fired. <laughs> <laughs> next, next. How do you, week how do you feel about a Scott. nice retainer position, Scott? It I I'm I'm, I'm so down. Zero. I, I'm so down. That's every every Tom Clancy character starts on a retainer. I think. <laughs> That's true. So this is just lining up with my interests. Perfect. Uh, okay, so the, the, the part goes, uh, okay, now keep in mind, this is happening in the middle of a metropolis, a stone's throw from the national diet, which is to say that being cut off from the world has nothing to do with physical proximity. Similarly, the blackbirds in the big river along, uh, belong to the factory. But the palace has real walls, physical boundaries, which keep it separate from the world at large. That's not true here. The river runs to the ocean. They could go anywhere. All they'd have to do is fly. For that many birds to live together in a space so small would necessitate fierce competition for food. It's hard to believe that some of them wouldn't fly off to find more forgiving environments. But they can't fly. They can leap from spot to spot, but they never go very far. Like, I mean, I, I don't. I, I think it's pretty overt towards the end that, um, you know, uh, everyone's becoming some sort of animal. Or that there's a huge section uh, of taxonomy of three different species of distinct animal that live on in the factory environs and i don't know if anyone disagrees but like it, it seems like the people are just those they're turning into those yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it, 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 it that's my instinct is like that's as reasonable as anything i could put together and, <laughs> and there's and, and like, even more to the point, there's no way that isn't the vibe. You know what I mean? Like it's, you get a sense that that is actually what they're cranking out. Like if, if you in this moment tried to sell me that the point of this factory was to turn people into animals, I would have a hard time arguing against it, that that in fact was the purpose. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Yeah. And that, that, is and, my, and, and that is my a, sole takeaway from this book, actually. Now that what, I'm what a what a weird sort of because <laughs> like for all the sort of like formal strangeness of the book and the temporal fuckery or whatever, like it is also like very real in the sense that like a lot of us have had jobs that are like relevantly similar to this. In from my perspective, like uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really know who I'm doing it for or why, uh, but. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. Oh wait, yeah, I it's uh, man, it was catching a take. I was like, this is what, what's what's wild about that idea too is we think about those jobs making us soulless, right? Yes. Like it's you hear it's soulless work said a lot, and maybe you could take that to the do animals have souls debate that some people go into. But what it actually makes me think of more is that if you're turned into an animal, you are stripped of your human qualities. 
you are left with kind of animal instinct literally rendered in an animal form. And that like that in this book then comes from all this human artifice that we've built. So we build this thing just to break ourselves down. Uh, and that feels very in keeping with some of what the vibe of the book is. So maybe maybe we should just read the end here and get that out on the table because I think that's kind of the locus right. around sort of what we're talking about, right? Like, all right, let's do let's read the last paragraph and we can each read the the word. You know what I mean? That's just, how, that would, yeah, that would yeah, be impossible. Start from, start from where we could have Scott do a very stentorian rendition. Yes, that would be oh, love. In, in like, in like the perfect Shakespearean English that was beat into me at Juilliard. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, if we could yeah. get some of that Juilliard on display, that useless Juilliard that you did. <laughs> it's so useless. It, it, it. I. This would be such a tangent. I was had the funniest thing said to me about Shakespeare by a professor who I love, but he literally went like, there are three different types of Shakespeare, Royal Shakespeare. And he lifted one hand and shook it. And then he went, is he honest, my Lord? Honest. And then like went, no, 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 no. Then he went, Chicago Shakespeare, <laughs> shaking the other hand and then went, is he honest, my Lord? Throw a chair. And like screamed, throw a chair as he pretended to throw a chair. And then he went, and Juilliard Shakespeare. Is he honest, my lord? Honest? And then nodded wow. very slowly as if that's what we were supposed to do. Wow. Here's where here's where it gets really funny, though. I'm from Chicago. I was like, oh, fuck your shit. We don't all do that. Like, we don't just <laughs> throw chairs. Fast forward, <laughs> fast forward six months. I have a classmate from Australia who decides she's gonna to come to Chicago and hang with the those of us from my class that live in Chicago. And I'm like, great, we'll go to this little William Inge play. We'll go see Bus Stop. Sweet little William Inge, let's do it. 20 minutes into that production, the lead takes a chair and throws it across the theater. And I've never <laughs> recovered. I've been less of a human ever since. You gotta like, listen to the Juilliard guy. Plot twist. Plot twist. The plot twist. The lead that threw the chair was Bobby Knight. (laughs) 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 I I I guess I could give this a Juilliard Shakespeare reading. Uh, From what? Which sentence? I I I was sort of thinking about where where I had highlighted at least was from um, when I finally regained the power to move. Uh, it's about halfway down that last page. Um, oh, yeah. oh, I got it. Yep. When I finally regained the power to move, I made up my mind to ask Itsumi about the bird, but she was talking to one of the middle-aged women at the printing station. In the dark corner of the shredder station, a figure was sitting, reading a newspaper. Probably the captain. Maybe it was Hanzaki. The giant was standing up straight, almost like the captain's power tower. Or maybe it really was the power tower wearing the captain's hat. I turned back toward the morning container, grabbed a handful of pages and fed them into the shredder. I wasn't thinking about anything at all, just feeding paper into the machine. And as soon as the shredder swallowed the last pages, I became a black bird. I could see people's legs, their arms, I saw gray and a little green. I thought I could smell the ocean. 
chair. <laughs> we need a big punctuation mark. Throw a chair or something. Smash a glass. I mean, I will, I'll, I'll just go on record as saying like one of the most bizarre endings of a book that I've that I've ever encountered personally. Like I there there's this theme of them you know, sort of interacting with these, there, there are these black birds around the factory. Like that's something that we have encountered before. It's not completely out of nowhere, but the idea that someone could transform into the birds for me was like completely out of left field. I mean, I personally didn't see it coming at all. I, uh, I did not either. Oh, I, I did, but only not, I'm not trying to like be like, I'm more perceptive. Uh, but just but the other guy, the other guy was turning into the Koipu. Smart Matt, Smart Matt. <laughs> smart Matt smart time. Matt. It's Smart Matt corner. Uh, <laughs> that guy is talking about how his hair was slowly covering his whole body. And like, I was just oh, thinking yeah. about uh, the Koipu, those which are basically, they look a, like a mixture of like a beaver, a capybara, and a muskrat. Kind okay, of so together. that was my first question: Is what is the difference between a koipu and a capybara? Because my first thought was a capybara. Long that's tail. What it, okay, the tail. Yeah, yeah. Just a long ass tail, big rat tail, fleshy rat tail. <laughs> Which is why you know, and because, like I said, there's this, there's this like huge fucking chunk that's uh, a taxonomy, like a, a study, like a, a sort of naturalist's study of these three species of bird. The lizards, I wasn't. I wasn't as clear on like I kind of liked reading about their life cycle, just eating laundry detergent and grime off of people's so dirty collars. Weird. So weird. Yeah. I love that. That was fucking awesome. But I thought, you know, I just thought of these things like kind of living off of waste material in like literally like on machinery, like, you know, I don't know something about that. Like, and it's like some of these creatures are, you know, fending for their lives and they have to, they have to be more close to the faulty machinery, which means that their young will perish and like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, that, you know, I, as metaphor for, you know, these sort of that, these kind of like capacious metaphors for the life cycles of people and stuff. It, it, it was, it was good. I liked it. And to your well, point, it can't, oh, oh sorry. Is it just to your point? Like, no, you, you go ahead. Paul, you talk every week, dude. Shut up. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It's it's a very quick point, and hopefully backs whatever you're going to say up. Just that it can't be a mistake that we get a taxonomy of what these creatures eat while we're so obsessively looking at what the humans are eating too, right? It's like very clearly we're drawing something together. Um, that was it. That was the point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was just going to say when when it when I read the final line of the book, it instantly made me think of the lizards and i and i thought like those must be people and along with the uh, all the other animals too but i was like so certain types of people potentially become different types of these animals or like these different species of animals and i was like what type of person would become these lizards are they the people that are in the factory that are like in the nitty-gritty working with like wrenches and stuff i don't know but I, for whatever reason, I read that last sentence and I thought of the lizards being people. And I also was thinking of the person that was taking pictures of the crows. And I was thinking maybe that person like knew that those were people and maybe they were like trying to track down a loved one or something. Well, so so wait, so that's that's for a Fue, right? The moss researcher. He's he the was one the one that had... was taking pictures. No, no, I didn't think so. No, no, no. Okay, you're, you're, you're right. You're right. 
He was talking to a, like a, someone the around shredder, the, the right. shredder girl. Shredder. Oh, it was the shredder girl. Okay. I love, shredder teen, girl. I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And Animals. so I love this. Uh, I love this novel. Yeah. I'm, I'm psyched for the Netflix original series shredder girl <laughs> coming in 2022. Dude. I think girls should be shredder too. the foot gang but it's like they like captivate weird foot fetishist people anyway sorry i'm letting my imagination wander shredder could be a girl like we don't he never takes she he she never takes off the mask we don't actually know this is exactly if you reboot teenage mutant ninja turtles and the post credits reveal is that kate blanchett was shredder the whole time i will just i will lose my i will lose Soy. All bodily functions. That's yeah. it. I will soy face. I Epic soy, soy face, face on my end here. <laughs> it would probably be that that actress though, who was in um, who Tilda played, Swinton. Like, that old one. It would be Tilda Swinton. I knew immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I, thank you for saving me because I couldn't think of her name, but I'm glad. Yeah, it's I. I have a horrible thing where I sometimes for like two seconds confuse Tilda Swinton and Tony Collette just because their names are. So That's similar, okay. like in terms yeah. of assonance. So I was just imagining Tony Collette as Shredder now, and that <laughs> man that would be amazing. Just, just that shove that better. hereditary monologue right in. Yeah, it just works. It totally I works. Would, I would. I would it's that hereditary that. monologue, but to every member of the Foot Clan, and that's how they become <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. And we can just have Tilda Swinton be Michelangelo. Yeah. Right? Hey, I'm trying to get a foot. Is he the one that has like the Bensonhurst accent for no reason? <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. He loves he loves pizza. He, he loves what's happening. Master Splinter. <laughs> Wait, okay, so who's who I, I need a bit of a correction here. So my interpretation of the text, and you all seem to agree, and I'm just the dummy. My interpretation was that Furafue was went out to try to document the black birds happened to take a picture of the Ushiyama girl, who is a the sister of the other Ushiyama character. Hmm. And then they wound up going on a date at one of the sort of sanctioned restaurants that happened to appear, which I think interestingly sort of happened to appear out of nowhere. She was like, went out of her way to say, I've never seen this here before. Like, what? why is this here? The bridge also shrank and expanded. Yes, right. They were on the bridge. She was sort of like trying to walk the bridge, not necessarily escape the uh, complex, but sightsee. Yeah, sightsee. So, no. What, what am I missing, I guess? You're right that Furifua is also attempting to take photos, but up until that point, we are following, and again, sorry, uh, the the paper shredder girl. The Ushiyama, the, the female Ushiyama. Y- Yushio, yeah. Yoshio, something like that? Yeah, yeah y- y- Yoshiko. Yoshiko, thank you. So Yoshiko is going out on the uh, suggestion of her supervisor uh, because she randomly just gets a day off for basically no reason. They're like, you have vacation days. Like, we're cracking down on people taking them. Go take the rest of the day off. But she had nothing to do. So he's do. like, go, go see this bird. Go see these birds. Uh <laughs> And I mean, that seems weird because she goes and tries to take a photo of the birds and like disturbs another woman. And then Yoshiko ends up having the verbatim exact same literal like exchange with Furefue later, uh, 
which again, just it's it, it felt a little bit like weirdness for weirdness's sake, but like, you know, she disturbs this woman. She's like, I'm she like chases after her. She's like, I'm sorry. Like I was actually trying to photograph birds. Not I'm not like being weird and photographing you. And then the woman ends up saying, I'm sorry to her. And she's like in her head. She's like, why are you fucking apologizing to me? And then moments later, Furafuya comes out. She's like, who's this fucking guy with the with the silver sash? That means he's like a high, high level employee. <laughs> right. He takes his camera out and she's like, this motherfucker's a pervert and he's photographing me. And then she tries to leave. He chases her down, goes, I'm and sorry. And then they I'm just repeat birds. the interaction. And they just right. redo okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Which yeah, again, yeah. I, I just I don't I don't know what even what that's about necessarily, but you know? Yeah. I just didn't, like, just I, like I, a, I didn't know until you with your huge ass fucking brain explained it to me. <laughs> don't don't yeah, Jesus, be sarcastic you, about you it. That, like, no, I'm not being sarcastic. Do the T. Matt T. Matt T. <laughs> my brain is is okay. sump, sumptuous <laughs> so i wondered if anyone else got this vibe for me when i was reading it we've sort of we've sort of talked obliquely about some of the characters for and the ushiyama twins we haven't really got into the male or are they twins or are they just siblings i think they're just siblings i think they're siblings, siblings. so yeah. the the brother's girlfriend is also involved in the narrative. She gets him the job through a temp agency. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. I was sort of reading this, and then specifically when the the female Ushiyama sibling was um, going to the bridge, I was reading this. I was like, oh, this is like a Thornton Wilder Bridge of San Luis Rey thing, right? It's a bunch of intersecting narratives uh, that are in some important ways oriented around a bridge and there's going to be some like untying of the knot payoff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and we're denied that, which I think is like, you know, good in some ways. I think that's sort of the intention, but I don't know. I thought there were some, some uh, callbacks to that. I don't know if anyone else thought like Wilder or no? Okay, not no, Matt. Matt, Matt shaking of, his head. I was thinking of the office because <laughs> uh, I was thinking like Ryan got the job through a temp agency and factory. All so that's where my my mind went. So we're on different levels. Yeah, <laughs> there's that part where like uh, Yoshimata just screams Michael Scott, and that was you know felt. <laughs> It's kind Surprising. of a dead giveaway. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she said. I mean, times. if I'm being sometimes like, if I like, I was like, is it that level of critique though? Of, um, I mean, I, I don't think so ultimately, but like going through it, I was like, I really hope this isn't just like factory bad, you know, just kind of like, I, we, we've I, just something we've, not necessarily even that's incorrect, but just that we've seen a lot is kind of played out. Like, cause I also like office space and stuff, you know, like, yeah. like these are all also good, good criticisms of this kind of culture. And, and like factory is bad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> factory, yeah. factory bad. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was also thinking of like, uh, I don't know what kind of saved it to me is just these little nods, like the whole uh, notion of the knowledge economy is something that also felt like it was coming through, which is yeah. like this weird, 
like because you know like the whole discussion of of america and and stuff like deindustrializing essentially so that a factory is not something we we have here any longer it's the knowledge industry the knowledge economy people who are invited to because of their big beautiful brains to go <laughs> and uh lend their expertise to something conceptual and how like divorce that can make you feel from anything and how oftentimes that's also very much used to just kind of like get people doing busy work as i described before you know just like refill out forms and then shred them you know it's it's like i don't know if holes is, is like holes with Shia LaBeouf, but <laughs> are these kids like, well, no, cause that's to a purpose. Like I, I just mean more like, uh, you know, maybe a cool hand Luke or something. It's like dig a hole and fill it in again. Like that's kind of what it feels like a bit like copy cop proofread and copy edit this document. And now it's going to the shredding thing. Yeah. I was getting a little bit of like uh, 1984 vibes, I guess in some instances too, even maybe not, very much but i did get a few of those but i did did want to mention that scott before we started recording you were talking a lot about just like the dreamlike elements of the novel and how like you thought like that i don't know you thought that that was like a big part of her process of writing and the whole point of the novel yeah no a hundred percent there's a a playwright once said to me about his plays that like they are going to function by emotional logic or dream logic, and you have to make a choice between the two. And I kept thinking of dream logic when I read this book. Like, I didn't always know how I got from A to B, but it seemed that there was the same way that can be when you're in a great dream, a reason for everything happening. And then when I tried to go back to it, it would feel elusive, even though it was tangible, right? Like, right, that mm-hmm. sense of waking with, like, I can't get it, and yet it's present. Um, and, and, and actually to expand on that, and this was going to something, Matt, that you were saying about the knowledge economy, I kept thinking, right, that's all the stuff that's in your head, in your in head, your brain. And the factory basically works overtime to get into its employees' heads, yeah. to have you thinking about the culture, to have you thinking like people that work there, to be thinking about all the shit that happens on campus or and, and never really leaving it. And stuff with the bridge, the birds, like some of it up until the end is, is about perception. Is the bridge shrinking or expanding or is it the same size? Um, are you turning into a bird? Is, does she actually, or does she suddenly see herself that way? And I, I wonder if some of it also is like, it just breaks you down into this mentality that is very surreal and doesn't make sense unless you are wholly ensconced in it. And and like that that's part of the knowledge economy too in a way i i I just want to follow up on something that scott said and sort of like reinforce this point about the sort of dreamlike quality of this because i think we've thus far in in a way given short shrift to the sort of um formal qualities of this book like this book is written very strangely and it's laid out on the page very strangely there are entire sections like there are chapters there are paragraph breaks but they're distributed in a way that is like entirely bizarre and entirely counterintuitive and i think that that contributes in a really real material like a visible way to that sort of sense that scott was just describing the sort of dreamlike um you know it's not it's not free association there is a narrative that you can sort of follow 
but it is not laid out in a structured way or in a, or in a way that we um, can intuit as structured that makes sense to us. Yeah, like I, I was saying, uh, there's that whole device of just a chunk of something that happens at earlier or later just shoved literally into the, arbitrarily seemingly into the middle of a scene that's happening now just two people talking there's no break there's not even an indicate there's not an indent there's no indication that we've changed uh times or, or subjects or whatever it's just like two people having a conversation and and the the this was my favorite part was like um it's just sort of unbroken blocks of text. There's not a lot of paragraph breaks or anything either. And uh, so when people are speaking, there's, you know, quotation marks around it. When people are in their head, it's just text with no quotation marks. Um, but those shifts happen also pretty rapidly. Uh, and you don't get a, a he said, she said anything. It's just sort of like a new person is speaking there's no then you're in someone's interior monologue no no quotation marks suddenly we're in a new time there's no indication that that's happened we're in the same formatting of just like quotation marks of someone speaking it takes a minute to figure out that it's actually a whole other person and we're in a new situation and then we cut immediately back again with no indication to like the prior time or whatever and all of it is just meant to I think in a in a way with the shredding thing, like just kind of shred <laughs> a narrative, like like the factory seems to be doing itself. Yeah, yeah. I think it also just adds to the sur surreality of the. That's the word. Surreality. Surreality. It is now, motherfucker. Right, oh yeah, who cares? <laughs> I would play it uh, in Scrabble, and you wouldn't fucking bad not <laughs> challenge me um but i i think that the structure actually adds to like the surreal nature of just the actions and the, what's happening in the book as is too like how she writes is sort of dreamlike and fragmented and i think that's totally purposeful it, and effective it, but also very confusing yeah so, so so to me it actually called back to um the book that we talked about last week nathaniel mackey's base cathedral <laughs> which is a similarly formally like very challenging book. It's, it's challenging. It's written as a sort of series of letters and it's very challenging linguistically and formally, but it's interspersed with these sort of moments of profoundly relatable human interaction. And I felt like that also is the case with this book. Like I was thinking about the dinner scene when the the two Ushiyama siblings are sitting around the table and the brother's girlfriend is sort of judging the sister. And like, that's just- That was such, so that's, funny. That's such a funny <laughs> sort of human moment um, that is uh, not necessarily in contradiction with, but like in, in, in a productive tension with a lot of the rest of the book for me. Sister was being- yeah, right. I mean, every, every book is the sequel to the last book we read. We have discovered that. <laughs> True. Yeah. But that, no, that scene was hilarious. I thought that he, he like, he called it like a monster or something at one point. I just laughed out loud. It was like so unwarranted. The and, sister was uh, being mean. She was being mean. She was just being a person. I thought, I didn't think she was That's, doing anything that bad. People are, people are mean. 
<laughs> she's like her fucking face is like big and her features are smushed in it but her mouth is like big and froggy and i was just well, like well, 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 damn I, you just I met actually, her i actually think and i don't know i don't know if you thought about this scott or because i never when you guys were mentioning the sort of food thing i didn't really pick up on that quite as much as you did but i did pick up on a lot of sort of body talk and body commentary and I wondered what you guys thought the relation between those two sort of discourses were. Because there's food talk and then there's sort of body talk. You know, there's a lot of talk about describing people's sort of weight and the way they sort of sit and their frailty. Uh, maybe maybe that's a relation that's not there, but. No, no I, I think there's there has to be something to it because it it's laid, like the food thing, it's laid out pretty early on, right? Like it reopening this book for the first time in a while i noticed that i think i'm on page one i can just crack it open um i can do a little spine cracking yeah there we Ooh. go oh. <laughs> yet again an- another reason why you should take over the whole podcast for us oh this is like in the in the movie when they say the title of the movie and everyone's exactly. like oh <laughs> if, if it if it goes with all the retcons I've built, it means in like two years we're getting Tom Clancy's Spine Crackers as a book. Which is, <laughs> oh God, it, get wor- it works weirdly well. It just sounds right. It sounds like what Rainbow Six the video game is, but it's like it, it, without looking up, she nodded and lifted the receiver. I watched her mouth. The words "Your two o'clock is here." Her lipstick had come off in places. Like there is distortion. One, the next receptionist that enters she's described as heavyweight but her lipstick is perfect like it never it's never symmetrical there's never like a single Mm. person in this who achieves like a kind of physical symmetry as being described and i can't help but think that that that, to me it definitely creates a sense of unease because right from the get-go no one's in balance And, and and judgment is being passed like very quickly and casually which is also unsettling but it, it can't help but be in relation to food because everyone's talking about their bodies or what they're eating and whatnot. It's there's also the the uh, old man and his son whose son is described as having a uh, sardine eyes. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which is a sick burn. And then yeah. also um, <laughs> there's all those old women trying to feed for Fue. I think they're just like ah, yeah. like let's give him some candy and then. That also, there's like the a couple times it's mentioned that the little kids of all the people. This is kind of like a, a company town, essentially. Also, there's that valence to it as well. Of like, you know, you 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 would almost believe that there'd be like company issued currency and stuff like that in this situation. But anyway, these people have families and like kind of live in uh in in the factory environs as well, and they have kids, and the kids keep being described as spitting every time they talk. Which also was just like fucking weird. I was just like, yeah, there's like these weird things where they just harp and it, and it does feel a little mean. Again, I, I'm not quite sure if it's just meant to be a gross detail to kind of keep you perpetually just kind of icked, icky, like icked out, or uh, if it means anything further. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, I just want to mention. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Sorry. Oh, just real quick, I wanted to mention that you said you said there should be company currency. Made me think of Schrutbach, which is in the office. It should have been called the office. It should, yeah. It should be called the office too. <laughs> I, I I was just gonna say that I couldn't help reading this, thinking about um, 
trying to pinpoint Oyamada's class politics. Like, where mm. is she coming from? Where is she sort of situated? Because there are characters in the story that come from really diverse economic backgrounds, right? There's a guy who's basically an academic who gets a, an offer for a stupid amount of money to basically do nothing. The Moss, the Moss gentleman for Fue. And then there are basically working a, a, a pair of working class siblings who live together and take jobs at a local factory. And I think, again, going back to something that we sort of discussed earlier, transposing that into the American context, that's something that is like very relatable and very sort of common, right? We have entire families whose economic lives are oriented around a local employer that controls a sort of like big, you know, firm, whether it's a factory or some tech company or, you know, a car dealership or whatever. Um, and I just thought that that sort of intersection was really interesting because ultimately, and this, and we haven't really addressed this yet, but that's where the sort of time, uh, the time angle comes in because for Ifue, it meets up with the uh, female Ujiyama sibling. And that's when the sort of, for me anyway, my interpretation, the narratives kind of collide. I was assuming they were all on the same kind of track. And yeah. then it sort of comes out that for Fue, who is the Moss researcher that's employed to do basically nothing at the factory, uh, he meets her on the bridge and it sort of comes out that he's been working there for 40 years or 30 years or whatever. And she's just started a few weeks ago. Yeah. It's, and she's like, what the fuck did you do? He's like, I'm not going to tell her my salary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's so wild. Like to, to your education point and then the class politics of it all. The first thing I thought when Matt mentioned the spitting detail was that it was reflective of a certain lack of education, not, not so much about poverty, but that theoretically when you go to school, someone is starting to pay attention to how you speak or you know you hear so often speak properly or they, they, that becomes something that gets built in and that these kids aren't actually receiving an education. They're living at the factory and it feels implied that the assumption is they will also join the factory. And that's kind of the sort of one of the catch-alls of education in a working culture, no matter what your status is going to school, you wind up in this ecosystem. And then it continues to perpetuate itself and on and on again. And I thought that might be part of the point. The factory actually sucks in all and then just continues to churn out people that will go there. And that's, you know, like, I, I feel like there are multiple Springsteen songs that bring up the idea that like a kid's going <laughs> to go work at the factory just like his dad. And then that like he's got to break out. But breaking out in this case, if Rafue is to be believed, just means winding up right back. I'm I I I cannot uh, overstate how appreciative I am of you bringing up Springsteen again, Scott, because <laughs> Springsteen is uh, amazing. I love uh, national treasure. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think I think you're right that like I think the factory. I I, I found it to be pretty again, cryptic or uh, de-emphasized the class stuff, but I don't think that's because of an ignorance of it or not caring. I think it's just like, no, you get turned into a fucking weird slurry paste through through the factory's digestive system and turned into a bird. 
yeah. I, a, a, just a group of identical birds <laughs> and like <laughs> and scott you were saying like i think what's more emphasized here is like just weird judgment like the spit thing just felt more like a person being like finding distaste in like these kids that are like talking about trading cards or whatever and it's yeah. like why, why are you even zeroing in on something like that you know that's more the question is like everyone's just kind of like nettling and judging each other it doesn't matter who they are yeah and it happens so casually like it just it happens as casually as any of the work things they do right like it it, it very much it's never an event the judgment is never an event um and to us who are sitting out reading this thing, like the point of view of the audience, it's incredibly much an event because it keeps happening. And we're like, why does this persist? It's right. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's absolutely horrifying, but it's insistent. And it, it's a 116 page book. So literally every word that's ever recurring, I'm going red flag, red flag. You know, like this has to be significant. Yeah, basically, and not the, and you know I don't know if that's true of Oyamata. Again, I'm actually I don't want to veer too much into the whole the whole. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, like, I, without getting too into the weeds, like what is the setting? I guess or like the setting is is a woman moving to a new town with her husband for work purposes, mm-hmm. and then like things dissolving in and around the home. So it's again, like it's someone in a domestic setting that is supposed to be um, attainable and desirable and something that you work towards in life, right? Here it's a factory, there it's like, boom, uh, domestic bliss, part of the dream. And discovering all these ominous things around the edges of it, the more time is spent in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then time itself starts to fragment a little bit. And and what's I think it's actually a, an easier chronological book to follow than The Factory, but it does begin to blur in the same way. Well, um, to, I mean, just to, just to hear that quick description of the whole makes me, it does make me think that Oyamata is class conscious and socially conscious. And I mean, Gabe, to answer your question from a few minutes ago, like I, I think that, Oyamata is is talking about a post-World War II Japan in particular that is like has been very pristine, very capitalistic, very industrial since World War II, that is has been this kind of like singular factory of itself, just like producing, doing well, clean cities, everyone has their place in the country. So I think it actually could be a much more broader social issue. For her in terms of her own culture and her own country um i think it's something that if we were japanese we would probably grasp onto this book in a much different way so so do you think so paul do you think or or are you suggesting that maybe this is uh an example of japan or japanese sort of literature going through what america had to go through you know 20 30 years earlier which is sort of like the crisis of of meaning in the face of like faceless standardization and modernization and that sort of thing. Because I know like, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm not like an expert in Japanese culture. I have no credentials whatsoever. Um, but in the face but of, yeah, sort of like, yeah, traditional concerns being forced to sort of modernize and, and put some of that aside maybe. 
I think you're right. I can't point to any any American novelists right now. Well, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Springsteen. <laughs> Poet, novelist, but I, yeah. But I think it's like a it's there's something that Oyamata is seeing in her culture that even though you know post-World War II Japan has been so successful in a you know in almost every sense across the board, like across the world, but there's there is still something that she is seeing in her culture that is not totally correct. And there's something off about it. And, uh, well, I think back even in 2013, you had all the stories about like, uh, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like filtered into the U S media is always a fraught thing, but like draw like way, way lower birth rates. And, uh, like young people being like i fucking don't care like i'm like i think recently it's been more the what is it hikikomori like the Mm. the people that just completely reside within their bedrooms and like live online and like you know which sounds familiar here there is a version of it here but i think it's even somehow more like compartmentalized and like atomized in japan so i I, I think they do have their very like struggles that are have their kind of analog here in a way, but yeah, are, are also ex- extremely different in, in terms well, of... Well, they also they have... I think Japan has one of the highest suicide rates, too. And I think the what you're referring to is agoraphobia, right? In the general sense? Not... No. Uh, they don't have agoraphobia, these people. Not necessarily. Really? Yeah, it's not that. Yeah. It's like and a like, cultural... It's almost like a cultural decision. It's like a... It's weird. Hikikomori, look it up. It, yeah, and, and and like this is not. I'm I'm reaching here because I really I'm drawing now from one anime, right? I'm I'm about to pull from <laughs> one anime to nice. make a point about which one all of Japanese culture. It's just the most white male thing I could possibly do. Um, go off, go off, King. It, go off, <laughs> <laughs> go off, Soy King. Make it happen. Um, it's. I'm thinking of My Hero Academia as yeah, as bro. A, Fuck yeah, as, as as a reference point because like that is all about not only being special versus not special and what that means, but like the prestige of this school and how accepting it is a great honor. But the way the school shapes them, uh, yeah, that has its roots in a lot of of Western narratives too about sort of you know like the magical training center. But it is its own kind of workforce, and in fact. That show gets into as it goes on the idea of superheroes as like startup identities and 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 they get lost in the muck of like internships and stuff. There's something about in that show that being special does not excuse you from the drudgery. And here the drudgery winds up becoming the point, even though this is supposed to be the place. This is the place you're supposed to go and work. And that's, I think, the thing that's reminding me of the My Hero thing. It's like, once you get to that level, it's supposed to be, like, smooth sailing. And then it really isn't, like, at all whatsoever. It's a yeah. reach of a comparison. But I, I, but like, I actually I actually don't think it is. I mean, I haven't, I okay, full disclosure, I haven't seen the show. But <laughs> I will say that the the sort of description of, um, you know, being special, not being, like, a ticket out of any of this, right? Like, just because you're smart, just because you're clever just because you have a sort of um uh, ability to work with a in a in a certain sub discipline you're not exempt like you don't get to get out of 
you know, neoliberal capitalism, for example. <laughs> I mean, this is something that I've sort of been talking about recently with my students. Like, there's no um, outlet. Everything becomes sort of neoliberalized. Everything becomes sort of uh, measured and reduced and whatever. And just because you're smart or talented or whatever, you're you're still stuck in it. So that resonates with me. And specifically thinking about Furafue as an academic who sort of gets recruited by this corporation to do something that he is never exactly clear on. He doesn't have any parameters. He doesn't have any sort of like goals and uh, he's getting paid a lot of money, which is great for him. But there's a disconnect there between I think what he would ideally want to be doing with his life as an academic and what he's sort of shoehorned into. But the show, the show is the show really, is it, is it the takeaway? Like really that you, I don't, I don't know if it's that you can transcend via, right. I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, it's, it. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, as someone who hasn't finished the show, I'm taking it more off of what I've seen, but, and, 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 and just thinking that like there is, there is a pride in the workforce that's both presented in that show, right? Like that you are to join this working group of superheroes and that that is, that is the pinnacle and that this factory is supposed to be the pinnacle and that then once you get into it, it's, it's not that it gets demystified, but, but you kind of enter a system and, and the system takes its hold on you no matter who you are. Because I know like in season I think it's three, right? They start going out into the world and working with other heroes and, and someone gets an internship. And I can't remember who it is, but like they are absolutely thrown by it. Is I, It might be Yoshida. I can't quite like the, the guy with super fast legs. Is it him? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, like he, yeah, I, I, I feel like, I feel like legs. he winds up in the system and that um, it, it it's something about that that real presentation of like, now you are part of this group and this grouping is going to be a thing that is salvation or, or saves you. Um, what's the, what's the dope is Goku. Goku's the lead, right? Like kind of, is the lead oh, of my hero academia. I love Dragon Ball Z. Um, it sounds yeah, like Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> it does sound, it's, a, it's probably Dragon Ball Z. He's got some nickname and it's, Supposed to be a bad thing, but then it winds up being a great thing. Can't remember, but like he's so obsessed in the first season with joining this school and being a part of this group and being special. And in fact, he has a power transfer to him, but we already know how special he is before he joins. And in fact, like once he's there, it's not that it gets dulled at all. He's still very much a protagonist, but it, he, he, he starts to meld in a little bit. It's kind of wild. I I was just trying to say that, like, uh, I think the trajectory of that manga is like, uh, you know, I'm sure there are people just reeing their faces off right now as we just like bungle <laughs> our way through. They're like, no. I uh, thought he said he knew about comic books and pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> I know this much is true. He doesn't know shit about My Hero Academia. <laughs> Fair. Gabe. <laughs> I it seems like the kind of thing where it's like it it's going to be more what Gabe is describing. Actually, I think I I, mm. I think it's going to be something where like uh, 
I think I I bet it's just gonna follow the similar trajectory of like someone becoming uh something's idolized, they 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 get involved in it or meet a person and it's like, oh fuck, this is the reality. And then maybe there's some sort of like they and either become cynical or embody the actual good, you know, sort of version of that. But I, I think there's yeah. a I think it's I think it's also like uh critical of the notion of like heroes and things like that. Yeah. And, and I think, it, and, and when that may here, let's see if I can actually save my, my hero take. I think like the thing that it does show spoilers for my hero academia is that there's a fundamental brokenness. And then when you try to cover it over, that's where the actual insidiousness comes in because that show opens with this guy. He's named injured all right? night. Yeah. He's injured. Exactly. Yeah. And, and he is, he is trying to hide it from the people because the people don't want to know that they'd be too much in fear. But we see that that actually makes him who he is. The fact that he continues to go and fight anyway, as this fundamentally broken person who's like bleeding out and cannot literally keep his power set has to transfer it to somebody else. And he is aware of that. He's not in denial of what's happening at all. He's, very much aware and is embraced it as much as he possibly can mm-hmm. begrudgingly, but he's still on board here in the factory. No one's embracing of the weirdness that's happening around them. Or well, there's really no guy, there's no all might figure. It's like, yeah. uh, it's just a, you know, ubiquitous, uh, like I said, kind of black box yeah. thing that just like, we don't know what it makes. We don't know who runs it. And I, and it's just like, there's not like, it's just way darker than that. Yeah. The, the captain well, is the closest thing to an All Might figure, and he's <laughs> entirely a figurehead. Like, that's right. it. Right. Right. Totally. And he just sort of, he sort of disappears into the rabbit warren of the, or like Goto. He he also is like another like yeah. potential authority figure who's just burrows further in until he's not accessible even by phone. <laughs> and it's just like. Yes. And I, I, I mean, I so I worked in corporate restaurants for a long time, and Goto was so resonant with me in terms of like the people at the corporate level of some of these organizations that are just like, you know, the the, the way she describes him, just like sweaty, maybe drunk, maybe on cocaine, like whatever. And just sort of- uh, Maybe drunk, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was like so real to me. And I, I felt like that was such an sort of accurate description of this sort of like, middle managers who like maybe have given have been given a sort of like 20 percent view of like the goal but ultimately they don't know what's going on really any more than any of you do um did you guys did you guys think of the movie cube at all remember that movie cube the horror no but i love i love that movie and i do think about it now i do love cube but i had not thought about it yeah i I thought about cube and just like you know pointless deadly puzzles yeah, and like I think, not 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 necessarily the puzzle aspect, just the the corporate aspect of how it was built. I think I think it's in Cube One that you find out like how it was built was by people that didn't really know what they were doing. They were like they were building one section of one cube, and it was across like two hundred different companies of but of I, people that I actually built think that- this. Paul, once again, you do not you doubt your own connections you're drawing here, but they're actually fucking on point, which is like I think that's exactly what the factory is also about. It's like 
Well, that's what I was. That's what I was trying. To right. Is, yeah, that, that's way it. more on point than my My Hero Academia take. That is spot on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like this. I'm a, a this incredibly this thing that just produces death and is completely malevolent, pointless structure that's huge and built for uh for reasons that are unknown because it's a composite of like other a bunch of random people like just sort of like mashing together a frankenstein's monster body of a thing is i think part of what you're supposed to feel this uh this this episode is partially sponsored by amazon we have a link in the uh description (laughs) you can rent you can can rent the cube it's you can buy cube and frankenstein on amazon And, and like Cube actually helps me understand what's so scary about this book when it's frightening, which is that you it is the idea of a death trap that never really comes. Like you keep waiting for something to go horribly wrong in this book. It it feels like something is going to spring out and do something and it winds up being the bird transformation. But I think part of why that's surprising or was surprising at the end is I was expecting something far worse as I read it. I was like, there, there is a malevolence here. And in Cube, that malevolence is clear from moment one. Here you're like, well, where it, is it the lizards? Is it the moss? Is it the, the, is it the pants boy? Like, what is it? <laughs> Force, I, think that, I, think, I, I think that's such a good point, Scott. Like, there's so much potential for malevolence so much so much sort of eerie weirdness in the background like we've mentioned a couple times the forest panzer who is like i was like i the first time i was like oh this is gonna be a character that plays a role in the story and he was more like he was more like tom bombadil just mentioned (laughs) once in one chapter let's not get into that it's that means is it like when they make the factory movie, there's going to be like a strong vocal online contingent that is like, yo, don't you dare cut the forest pantser. Yeah. They're gonna, you fucking do it. I they're going to they're gonna ship the forest pantser with the manager of the restaurant on the bridge. <laughs> Someone's going to start tweeting out photos of Timothy Chalamet and being like, I'm just going to say it. The forest pantser. <laughs> yo, that would be so good. He's like so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, they also talk about how the Forest Panther is wearing a mantle of koi poo pelts, right? Like hunting these things and like wearing the fur, and he he might be the hero. Yeah, well, I mean, he could be the hero. He could be. Are I'll, you are I'll you doing a the Forest Panther is good actually? Take? Yeah. I yes, mean, I okay, am. The, the one reason I think he could be the hero too is that he he he's repelled by people in suits, right? Yeah. So the, the one yeah. way to, to not get pants is if you wear wear a suit, and that tells me that he like is afraid of corporate capitalism, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he's an equal opportunity pantser. It's not. Yeah. He's not. You know. Yeah. Doesn't matter your age or race or. Right. Exactly. But I think. Okay. I'll just say this. And you know, as as maybe the last serious point about the forest pantser. But I think there's this weird tension between. Such an obviously absurd character as the Forest Panzer, but it's also shrouded in this genuine weird, like dread. Scott, sort of like what you were describing, the sort of like this guy is weird. That this 
that this figure even exists in the world. It's eerie and it's spooky, but it's also like deeply comedic. And I feel like the 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 book walks that line really, really well. Yeah, almost almost from moment one, right? Yes. Like, it, and it just it does not let up. And I think that's one reason that it's easy to push through. Like, this is not a page turner exactly, but it's not not that because you just keep wanting to know what the hell is going on and and there is enough propulsion to go it might be on the next page but no the next page is the taxonomy of lizards okay well it might be on the page <laughs> after that not nah, jk we're back at the forest panzer like it just it keeps leading you around in circles it's the bridge that is always shrinking and expanding like that's well, what this book is yes you, you were describing even the minimal plot of the whole yeah. And, uh, you know, just to, you use the term dissolving and stuff. And I just I still think like the main tropes, these people are being digested by a system like that has to do with why we're talking about food all the time and uh, the national diet building and all this kind of shit. Like, I think these people are literally being broken down by the digestive system of a process they don't understand. And then the other thing is like the animalization of human beings in the literal sense in this book, which like, I know there's that meme, like return to monkey, return to monkey. Right. Which is a joke version of a, a, a conservative kind of like fear of like degeneracy in the West. Right. Like being like, no, fuck you return to monkey. But then there's like this kind of like, I think this is kind of like the middle ground, which is like, uh, what it means to r render a human being into an animal once more is to place them in an environment where they have no choice, but to kind of like uh, be reduced. Like you said, I think Scott to like their fucking like their basic faculties and the key is reducing any kind of critical self-awareness of their position or why it might be that it's that this is their reality or environment and like push back against that anymore it's just so like, so so is is her final transformation into the the black bird does that signify the sort of like final evaporation of that uh faculty in her like is is that when she sort of finally gives in or like, what does that represent when she? Well, okay, this is this is right. why. Let, okay, I, we're I, gonna have to go around the horn on this because we. Let me go first because I just want to. I want to defend my 1984 comparison because they reminded me of the end of 1984 when the guy's you know tortured and finally gives in to the society and he's brainwashed. I mean that that's kind of how I read the ending. Is just like, but it, it wasn't even like any anyone was like, um, directly importing those ideas into her brain it just kind of happened through osmosis being at the factory for a certain amount of time she popped into one of these birds um <laughs> and I, I i don't i still don't totally fucking know what it is what it means but that was my first initial thought was like she was brainwashed somehow by this corporate entity and once she became that bird there's no going back. It's like that was the insidious moment that the book was leading up to, and it sucks. And she's done. She's done. I think the phrase that precedes it, which is like, I started putting paper into the shredder without thinking about it, is like maybe the key. Yeah. Yeah. That she's finally animalized and ready to be a bird <laughs> and not a yeah. guy. 
and 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 to back up like sort of like the sandwich like let's if that's the one piece of bread then the other is the the final <laughs> sentence which is i thought i could smell the ocean mm. like it's the idea that the promise of something that's like freedom of you know wide open space the, the world in front of you is there but she's not really sure and it's just the smell it's it's like it's kind of this very reduced animalistic thing that it doesn't amount to anything ocean smell can come from a perfume ocean smell can you know like it's like i could get a probably a spray of bed bath and beyond it's like smells like the ocean it's like totally that didn't do jack and well i mean um, wait I, i just think and the key there is that that's how the book ends and the book begins with i thought i smelled birds yes. i was just gonna mm. say that and that makes yeah i was just gonna say that we brought it up before the yes. podcast before we started recording and that that parallel between those two lines is like actually really terrifying now i think about it is like there's something really creepy about that like she first walks in and smells the birds it's almost like she's smelling her fate mm. and then yeah. she becomes the bird she's smelling the ocean like missing or longing for something in her past or i don't know well I, and i also up. think i also i also think that it's really important and scott this is you sort of touched on this like it's important that it's it's not just animality right it's that it's a bird specifically and i think that's sort of important because you know when we think about the sort of most free uh animals i think a lot of times we think about birds maybe you know maybe fish or whatever and maybe there's a connection there to the ocean that she feels that she smells but there's this tension between the freedom i think that we normally associate with birds as animals and the animality that is ultimately still the case with birds. Like at the end of the day, they are still animals, no matter how free we sort of see them as, or how much we sort of wish in our, you know, dozing dreams that we are birds that we can fly and go wherever at the end of the day, they still are animalistic and they're still sort of pursuing those animalistic desires and instincts. So I think that that tension is actually really interesting and, and important too. And I can't remember who brought up, a sentence from the book earlier, but it, it ties to this that like the factories conceivably extends all the way to the ocean and the river and that they could go there if they wanted to, and they don't. And that and, and that, that is sort of the cruel promise of this, like, you can leave, but you're not going to, because you've already given in, you've already given up that instinct. And so you have all the tools to achieve the freedom. And you're not going to, because the mindset is what's been taken, twisted, corrupted, and, and all I that think, stuff. I think in some ways, and maybe this is controversial, and I don't want to open a can of worms, but in some ways, isn't that the sort of message of Western capitalism, right? Like, you have, you, you have sort of all the formal freedoms. No one's keeping you from doing what you want to do. But you ultimately can't do it for various reasons. You, you are yeah. restricted either because of, you know, your sort of just unchosen station in life your parents like where you were born there are all of these factors that restrict you from accessing the freedom that is formally available to you the factory formally extends to the ocean as you said scott and you could go there if you wanted to but it's not that simple and i think that no, that's part of part of the yeah but i think that you know that i think that's a good point but it also makes me think about the angle that is hard for us to see which is like the uniquely Japanese aspect of Western culture infiltrating their society and how like 
area because their their country is so much like has been so much better prior to world war ii in so many different ways they they look at this system as like the be all end all like people look at the factory as that also is like this pristine awesome thing i have all the food i want i get a good salary but uh, it's sucking my soul out and um sorry i lost my chain of thought <laughs> yeah just like I, oh, this is great like you know i'm provided for in every sense i get like my pellets are in my bowl every you know my every pellets, day yeah. around the time of day that i want it etc and i think that's the ultimate evil put over onto human beings with this is like that animal animalization is i mean it's always the biggest evil is like that animalization is voluntary eventually it's people asking for it it's people like yeah you know i i I'm, i thought it over and i can't think of like alternatives or why this is worse than anything else so i'm just you know i maybe i will return to monk yeah yeah you know i'll live in this vivarium created by people who i never get to see because it's completely <laughs> occluded from my sight by law somehow thank you so much for name checking the, the uh, jesse eisenberg sci-fi film Bavaria. that's in my so writer fucking good. podcast I'm, I'm on it's got to watch that I've that heard, movie I've is heard fucking good awesome about that. when that uh well then we're not going to talk about it paul yeah it's it's legit yeah, don't I, I need i need to watch it i like jesse eisenberg a lot too it's, um it's, it's really the peak of late eisenberg um late eisenberg <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what that means necessarily but i like hearing it i, 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 I don't know I, I'm, I'm like it's probably what like american ultra on like i'm just like what's this stuff it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> is that movie good it's oh god i hate saying that it is because it's a max landis script and fucking max landis why don't, um, yeah that rainbow-haired cartoon of a man can do whatever, whatever oh like. max landis yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, but, but like it's i i think american ultra is a movie in search of itself until the ending when it suddenly arrives and actually like the the third act of that movie redeems so much of what came before for me mm. in terms of little points it makes and character re- revelations and this is a tangent no one needed to hear but i'm a sucker for a build to a good music sync and american ultra decides to drop just a smack dab of one in like its last five minutes where I'm like, give your music supervisor an Oscar. Beautiful five-star work. I'm going to have to watch it. I'm going to have to watch it now. I haven't seen it before. It's Uh, an interesting movie. It's a curiosity, but it's it's got Walton Goggins as an assassin who can't stop laughing. Okay, I'm sold. I'm sold. Yeah. I I watched Max Landis on, uh, he, he was a guest on Red Letter Media, which I'm a huge fan of Red Letter Media. And that's a YouTube channel. It doesn't matter. No free no advertising on this podcast, Paul. Amazon, Kindle, <laughs> Frankenstein, the book, and now Red Letter Media. Frankenstein, uh, but... the book. <laughs> <laughs> it needs more free advertising. It's really getting <laughs> punished in the markets. But, uh, you know, no, Max Landis seems like an interesting guy, and I've wanted to watch one of his movies. Blank. So at the end of these these discussions, Scott, unless anyone right. has yes. anything else to add, uh, speaking of movies, speaking of movies, <laughs> we do a segment called um, "We Literally Just Read Another Book." 
where we we indulge our lizard Harry Potter brains and assign the characters from the book we just read to a Harry Potter house. Mm. So, uh, are you comfortable doing this? Do you? I'm very comfortable because you're going to. Yes. Oh yeah. (laughs) Ready. Comfortable or not, it's happening. It's happening. So uh, we'll go around and we'll 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 uh, let you go last, so you can have some time to think about it. Uh, I, I have pr- one. I have one question right off the bat, really quick. Is it the house that they should be, be in at the beginning of the book, or where they wind up by book's end? Um, That's an interesting uh, and smart question from someone who understands how <laughs> narratives work. Uh, we've never considered it because we're not that <laughs> yeah. type of person. Yeah, we, we've yeah. never I'm considered it. that. It, yeah, I think I think that. I go. I think I go. End though. If, okay. if the I go, ending I think is I something that too. is 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 supposed to show genuine growth, the question yeah. is okay. just more. If I had to frame it better, uh, it's more like, who do you just who do you think they are? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Does it's, the yeah, it's tell a holistic. It's sort of a holistic assessment. Mm. Absolutely. Just all psychology. <laughs> Hell yeah! I'm about it. I'm yeah, about dude. That Harry Potter psychology. All right, sick. So for <laughs> Fui, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, this is probably like the easiest one I've had to do for the podcast. I hate furries. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I kind. I mean, I I see every character in the same house. I'm not gonna. Do you really? Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what? Hufflepuff across the board. Wow. (laughs) That is true. Is like, actually, like, is the theme of the book that does the factory snuff out any sort of deviation from the mean? And is that, is it Snufflepuff? (laughs) (laughs) Is everyone molded into a Hufflepuff, but is that their, like, core self? Well, uh, I don't know. I feel like that that implies that sort of um, neoliberal capitalism, the sort of reduction of of uh, individuals to their roles in a larger cog. I feel like that's or in cogs in a larger system. Pardon me. I feel like that's Fucking a little bit unfair to dumb, Hufflepuff. Dumb. I know. I know. I quit. I quit. Scott, you're <laughs> taking my place. I quit the podcast. Amazing. Tom Clancy's Harry Potter. Here we go. <laughs> Yo, that was fucking rock. I don't honestly, know. I would read it. I would honestly read it. Did Paul leave mid explanation of his own position? Well, no, I was I was just saying that I feel like that's giving short shrift to Hufflepuff a little bit. That Fair. Hufflepuff is this sort of, you know, um, weak-willed, like sort of un, uncommitted, you know, nothing house, which I think is a bit of a caricature. Um, and we've established that Hufflepuff can be evil and Hufflepuff can be like transcendently Rapist. good. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that. Um, but <laughs> I think that that I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not necessarily comfortable calling everybody Hufflepuff just because they've been corrupted by by a larger power structure. I'm gonna call Furafui a Hufflepuff though. Yeah, I, I might too. The virologist. The, he's the, the one who's stuck. He's the one who's, as far as we know, by name, has the most time put into the factory. Right. He's the one who is constantly warring with himself about even asking what he's doing there because it might reflect yeah. poorly on his, like, 
benevolent employers. And I think he's just like proven himself, even if there was a spark of life in him prior, that he is just loyal in the detrimental sense. Like yeah. just loyal to the most to the nearest authority figure that like did him something nominally good. Well, let me ask you guys this before you answer. Um, was anyone in the whole book rebellious? No. Think so. No. I don't think I don't, so. I feel like everyone was very subordinate. But that doesn't mean they're all Hufflepuff. No, it doesn't, but it you know it pushes them towards that. that all right, house. so let's let's we'll go around. Furfue, Matt. Hufflepuff. Paul. Puff. I, yeah, Puff. I think I think Hufflepuff. Scott. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Hufflepuff. <laughs> all right. So I think the the other two characters that are worth analyzing, we could talk about Goto maybe or or somebody else, but the main other two characters are the Ushiyama siblings. Yeah, let's just do them. Yeah. So the sister is, I think, actually got a little more fight in her. Mm-hmm. But she's the only one who we see turn into an animal. Yes. Which, yeah. I don't know. And that's literally, like, basically a raven. So I'm just going to say Ravenclaw. <laughs> yeah. I think she is Ravenclaw. I think that's actually why she turned into a bird in the first, uh, you know, in the first place. Because does that not does that not undermine our entire analysis? Of <laughs> no, it's not point? a superficial. No, I'm saying it's not a super. Just because she turned into a black bird, like I thought, we were at the point where the turning into the bird was the embracing of unthinking animality, and now you're equating her with the well, Ravenclaw, and, and who's the most and, curious. And, Gab- out. and okay. Gabriel, you are reducing my argument by saying that. I haven't taken into consideration the fact that the final phase of someone enveloped into, as you said, quote, neoliberal capitalism is not the end all be all of their personality. I think this person had the most fight and was the most inquisitive as to why anything was occurring whatsoever. Right. And uh, I think she is an example of someone who is a Ravenclaw. And that that's the tragedy is that she's the first to go, really. Okay. Full All right. animal. All right. I think she's Harry Potter's owl. I think her she's Hedwig. I think she's an owl. Okay. <laughs> nice. Not an option. Nice. I give it seven All bags right. of popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say pop. H pop. All right, Scott. What do you think for the Ushiyama sister? I'm gonna go with Gryffindor, but it sort of goes to my larger take on the whole. Like it's she's she seems like in her low-key way, she's kind of chivalrous and she's mm-hmm. definitely determined enough to get a job. And I know this isn't a Gryffindor thing necessarily, but I feel like Gryffindors are looking for their place until they find it. And that's partially because that's Harry's whole bag and she's not had five, she's gotten away from five jobs and here, this one's supposed to be the thing. Kind of reminds me of the start of a Harry Potter story. I just, I also think like, by the end of this book, everybody's Slytherin, but they're not like the Slytherin of Draco Malfoy. They're like the Vincent Crabbe and Gregory Goyle Slytherin, where they're just like kind of <laughs> there. That's a deep cut. I love that's it. That's actually that's actually a really good point because we don't talk about that enough when we do this. Like Crabbe and Goyle are like, how are what? Why are they not Hufflepuffs? Because they have so many attributes. Very of a true. Hufflepuff. Yeah. But they're fucking in Slytherin. That's a good point. I yeah. changed my answer they're, to Slytherin, honestly. Yeah. They're, 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 
they're kind of tools. They're tools of the cog of Slytherin. And that's where I'm like, that to me is what these guys all become if if the factory is a kind of Voldemort. You is, know, like is, that's... is is anyone is anyone keeping track of things that Scott has been more thoughtful than us about this, <laughs> yeah, I, in this I, episode? I was, no, I was I just want to hurt my own feelings. I have to make a cardboard cutout of myself and just next next week i'm just gonna place it here and i will just leave <laughs> with just your stock phrases like your yeah ferris bueller in his bed <laughs> um, this is something gonna be me doing the jim cummings harry potter audiobooks where i'm doing everybody's character voice <laughs> <laughs> talking to myself incessantly <laughs> oh, all right so i think the sister the sister is slytherin in mine i'm changing it to slytherin all right i'm i'm gonna stick with uh owl all right. Uh, once again, not an answer that you're allowed to say, but it's fine. Fine. Not fine. An She's at all. okay. Fine. I think she is uh, Ravenclaw. I think she's the well, most. It, I think she's the most interested in what's going wrong and what's up with the whole thing. Well, mm-hmm. way to not stick to your interesting answer of Hedwig and cave in. Matt told me I wasn't allowed to. It's not. That's not an option. <laughs> and I'm the genius. I'm a Hufflepuff. I listen to orders. So let's talk about the uh, brother. Hufflepuff. Yeah, that that one is a kind of a slam dunk for me. Yeah, I don't know what his narcolepsy is all about, but I also think it is something that I've experienced. Uh, I literally tried to get into the publishing industry by uh, doing intern unpaid internships. The classic. <laughs> well, oh yeah, one thing I wanted to mention. Sorry, Matt, to cut you off, but Scott said he picked up this book at the Strand. And Matt, you got fired from the stream. I did. (laughs) (laughs) I was a a cashier at the strand for like four months and I was fired. Why? Well, I mean, I don't really want to go into it. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Yes. You're late. I was, I was late. It was a three strike policy on lateness. And the reason for that draconian measure is because they were negotiating union contracts as as the strand had been uh acquired by a different person as the ceo uh and so they were really trying to and cut that anyone person out was jeffrey epstein and that was <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that would have be, be intriguing and interesting just lame i there's there's nothing that would be funnier to me in the world than at like one of the strands book readings with like a celebrated children's offer they just like bury the lead that Jeffrey Epstein was murdered by the strand. He's just like doing, he's just like doing a reading. He's like, and the toaster climbed the hill, waving its magical wand in order to defeat the villains. And did you know the strand had Epstein murdered? That's from chapter five. Any questions? Just bludgeoned by a rare book. <laughs> and like all the copies they haven't sold to Fifty Shades of Grey. Just like the... <laughs> No, it would be great too if we were if we had a legitimate YouTube channel. I would love to film something in the strand where Matt is getting fired in the background, while Scott is picking up the factory and looking at it like this looks sick. (laughs) Yo, honestly, I'm gonna take issue with the term legitimate. I upload (laughs) these episodes to YouTube. Okay, Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He works hard on them, bro. I'm sorry. It is an art uh, form. You're, the strand you're being can go. Amazing. The strand can go fuck itself on some level. 
Yeah, they're like the factory, uh, right? the sponsor of this episode is uh, Amazon. Is Amazon? Google. Um, okay, so I think that's all the relevant sort of main characters that are worth putting in houses, which means that all that's left is to uh, score this book. Score, score, it, score up. it up. So uh, since Paul chose it, I think Paul goes last. But Traditionally, yeah, Paul goes Scott, last. once again, to get your bearings, well, you go second to last. Yep. Yeah, great. Um, and and uh, uh, you know I'll, the scoring just, convention, right? Yeah. Matt, go through it. You know that it's just one to five. Yep. So, so therefore, like, yeah, like two point five is like completely acceptable, yep. not a huge impact, and therefore, you know, vice, you know, whatever. So zero to one being like my life is worse for having read this. Five being right. like I am an affirmatively better person for, for right having transcendent read this. revelatory yeah. experience. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I'll go first. Um, I liked this book and. Uh, I, I get what you're saying, Scott. I kind of like, I finished it like yesterday. So I don't know if I've, I've not had the like linger kind of effect, but I can kind of, I can kind of get a sense when something will. And I think this will. Um, that being said, I don't know. I feel like I've read books that have tackled similar issues um, better and I felt this book to be a bit coy at times. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking specifically when I was reading this most of the time about uh, Secret Rendezvous by Kobo Abe, who's, a, who's an author we've read. Um, so I'm going to give this book a 2.7. Like... I have to soy face for that. On one. the positive, on the positive end, but uh, I, I don't know how much of an impact it's going to have. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have a better explanation, but that's what I'm saying. Wow. So uh, I love Bruce Springsteen. I love the album Nebraska, and I love the song. <laughs> uh, I love the song The Factory, and uh, I, I think. <laughs> I think that I, I mean I think this book was formally really interesting and I I think that you know reading it I felt I felt that I got what Oyamata was going for I felt disoriented I felt temporally and physically out of sorts which I think is what she was trying to capture in terms of sort of like modern modern life modern engagement with um employment specifically mm -hmm. um I I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit higher than you, Matt. I think I'm at like a 3.41 or something like that. Um I really, I really uh I think I will return to this book. Um and I will certainly read her other work. And oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, Bruce Springsteen, amazing. Nebraska, good. I'm album. changing 2.78. Okay. <laughs> It's I'm going to go with a very enthusiastic 3.5. And part of my reference for that is, did you, I'm going to make one more esoteric comparison. Did you guys see the movie underwater? Uh, the Kristen no, Stewart, but I really want to, I almost watched it two nights ago, but I didn't. I, I fucking love that <laughs> movie. And and that was a movie that I saw. Is it on Netflix? When it, Sorry. It's it might HBO. be. Okay, okay. There it is. 
That's right. Yeah, it's on. I was like, it's on one of the streamers. It's probably on Home Depot TV or something. <laughs> Home, De- <laughs> Home Depot. <laughs> it's just underwater and like the Netflix fireplace with like Home Depot Lo- branded wood. Home, Home Depot TV and and Lowe's tube. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> amazing. Oh God, Lowe's tube. I'm gonna be haunted by Lowe's tube the way I was haunted by the factory. Um, it like uh, underwater is just I think it's a great little movie. And when I saw it, I had to like kind of cut through my own bullshit assumptions about January movies. And I kept going, was that as good as I thought it was? Mm. Sort of lingering. I don't know. And then as I started to talk with people about it online, I went, oh. No, it really is. It kind of functions on dream logic. It's disorienting. It doesn't ever achieve the highs of things that are like more operatically crafted or more like deliberately idiosyncratic. It's still ultimately kind of derivative in its way. But when it really goes for it, it goes big and lands the way those parallel sentences do at the end of this book. Mm-hmm. And and so like to me, it. No, I'm not going to say it's like one of my favorite books I've ever read in that four to five echelon, but it gets like an enthusiastic 3.5. Also because it doesn't take that much involvement to commit to this one was Underwater too. Like I gave my dad to under Underwater for Christmas because he loves Tom Clancy books and things where people fight aliens. And I was like, you know what? You're going to throw this on. You're going to be like, I liked it. That. <laughs> Kristen Wiig was very good. I'm going to be like, it's Kristen Stewart. <laughs> it's going to be like, like, well, that's nice. And then, like, we're going to be off to the races. <laughs> Paul, so, I feel uh, like I... your dad and Scott's dad would get along really well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. My dad just loves, he he soaks in B-horror movies on Netflix. Or B-military uh, B movies. Sorry, not horror. I was thinking about hey, water stuff. Hey, movie. Neil, Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers. You can get them both. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. But Dog Soldiers is really good, actually. It's legit. I, it's, it's, legit. it's the real deal. <laughs> is it really? So That's legit. awesome. It, yes. It's literally Speaking a soldier of, uh, movie with werewolves. It's legit. Oh, fuck yes, dude. It's, but it's actually, awesome. I would actually put, it's a really good military film, aside from the horror. Like, it's actually just really good. Again, are we talking about bestiality, like people becoming beasts as like a metaphor? No. No? No, it's it's, it's literal werewolves. It's actual werewolves, yeah. Okay. (laughs) This one's good. I'll I'll watch it with my dad. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Father-son bonding. Nice, dude. Um, All right, Paul, you're up, buddy. What's up? It's funny. When we first started the discussion, I was like unsure about where to score this. And it's funny. I'm still unsure. But I have to be impulsive right now, and I'm going to say three point seven six five four one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, we've never gone to that decimal place. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think my when I finished the book, I was like, that was a that was a good book. I, I, it made me think. It's interesting. They, there's a lot of interesting ideas in there. But I, I did have this initial feeling of like. I wanted it to be, I actually wanted it to be expanded further. I wanted it to be longer. I wanted her ideas to be propelled into a longer format with more characterization. Um, to me, there there was something that was like lacking throughout that I just, I wanted more information here. I wanted more information there. Um, 
and it, it was almost like she was trying to grasp on these ideas also and she wasn't totally clear about what she was going for yeah um i don't know if i'm right or wrong about that but i i thought that maybe if she thought okay i'm gonna i'm gonna take this initial draft of 115 pages and expand to 300 maybe she could have explored other issues or gotten into something a little bit deeper um i know it's always weird to say like i wish this book was shorter <laughs> i think i would have liked it more if you edited it down i wish this book was, i think it, it, it to me it's always like a uncomfortable thing to say about an experience but she's not here paul it's okay yeah i'm I know, also I'm, i also <laughs> agree with you i was like maybe 200 pages would have like yeah i was like expand on that kind okay of. see scott this is what i was telling you before matt came here matt longer is better matt loves the fat chonkers no <laughs> no 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 i i will say though though because we're sticking with the japanese theme this was kind of like a like one of those small featherweight sumos that like kicks ass <laughs> that's kind of how i this is a great book i think that's how's a there, perfect uh yeah how's there not a death cat for cutie song named small featherweight sumo it's just like <laughs> how does that not happen how do we not get an absolutely sensitive i just broke up with somebody and lay down kind of song about that because it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Your emotional weight is sumo. Exactly. But you're, you're really a featherweight. But you're 110 pounds. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you have a concave chest and uh, <laughs> your hair is feathered. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, right. yeah, I, unless someone has anything uh, incisive to add incisive no, fuck no we we didn't have anything incisive to add from the beginning but right uh, from no. jump so uh scott tell people the three mothers that are still listening where can we find you what's for, where are you at for for my my mom is she's digesting this and still probably thinks i'm talking about a marvel comic book bless uh, you bless you scott's it, mom it is at OG Scotty T S C O T T I E T. I spell it like I'm five because on the inside I still am. And that's where you can find me on Twitter. The podcasts are the Infinity Podcast and and the best picture is. I don't think I have any movies or TV coming out that have been announced. So if you want to see another movie I did, go watch Skin because it's actually good. And I think so rarely do actors get to make good films and i think this actually is a really good one that i i feel weird going it got slept on but we weren't really weren't ready to watch a movie about nazis and now we are so ready to do white supremacy films all over again oh like, god oh i was just now, okay so. gina carano anybody oh <laughs> did, she announced she's collaborating with ben i Shapiro. know i know fuck dude <laughs> <laughs> what the what a great move. Oh good. Job. And they already have, because I clicked on the link, they already have a 25% Gina Carano discount to subscribe to the Daily Wire. And I what I don't understand is when <laughs> the best car when the best car metal, if it's the strongest metal that you can possibly find in the universe, but yet there's also the lightsaber. <laughs> like, so if I put a chastity thing around my penis with it's made out of Beskar, what is <laughs> 
Right. Can they get my foreskin? All right. It's off because uh, I'm Jeff. <laughs> it, it turned out that I really wasn't a fan of WAP. Woke ass Pedro Pascal. But I am a fan. Of... <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yep. We all knew it was coming. Like, we already knew that there was already rumblings even when she was oh, in yeah. the show. Yeah. Well, uh... oh, well, also, you, Scott, just, just to get, plug it again, the, uh, the Mark oh, Ruffalo, yeah. the Mark Ruffalo ball and cock photography movie, whatever it was. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's honestly, and it is based on a classic American novel. I know this much is true by Wally Lamb, a yep. six yeah, episode yeah, yeah. miniseries on HBO. Should, I have please, that somewhere, do, like right over here. It's and honestly, like they did such a great job, and it is just like that book, like so devastating to get through that, like force yourself to the six hours because it will rewards you when it's all said and done but i was watching that show with my partner and it was such a misery slog because of the way it's structured that like we got to after my senior like do we need to keep watching (laughs) i'm good i'm good and i knew it was worth it when you get done but i was like no it's we've already done dead babies and sad welfare sequences set to old 80s songs like i'm yeah i'm Mm-hmm. There's a pandemic happening. I'm not sure I can handle much more of this. But yeah. now it's a little easier to digest it. So check it out. It's a good show. Also, awesome. check out the great American novel, Mark Ruffalo's Balls. My favorite novel of in American literature. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it was published under the title Consider Lobster, which was such a mean <laughs> dig. At, right. They're not, at he's that not that set. red. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, so good. Well, he's actually, well, he's actually the opposite of red. He's green. He's the Hulk which is interesting. That's right. <laughs> and it's actually, before it was called Consider the Monster. Oh, I can't do oh, it. Oh, no. Okay, that's it. Right. We're done. All right, we're done. Good talking to y'all. Scott, thanks Thank so you, much Scott. for uh, coming on uh, with us. Thank you Thank so you. much, Scott. It's a privilege and a pleasure, y'all. Thanks for pinch hitting and elevating us and basically destroying all of us with your analysis. <laughs> and so, yeah, next yeah. week, you can all look forward to hearing just Scott because... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just like Tom Clancy, I eliminated y'all from the pod without remorse. Oh my god! And this is the shit we're talking. Don't fucking. Oh my god, dude! Not like this. Not like this. Not, Not like in this. my own house. All right, boys. Gg. Gg's. Love y'all. Thank GG's. you again, Scott. Y'all. Adios. Thank you, guys. Everybody.